Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with stories about the weather and climate and the role they play in our daily life. I'm your host, AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore, and I welcome you to this, now the sixth episode of our fall series, as we head into the weekend that finishes up October and gets into the final month of fall this weekend as we start the month of November. Not only will we change the calendars this weekend, but we will also push back the clocks on Sunday morning. After the lull in the weather the previous week, the weather stories and impacts across the United States exploded again this past week. A huge winter storm crushed the Rockies and then the Plains and even brought snow as far south as Texas. Meanwhile, Hurricane Zeta made two landfalls early in the week in the Yucatan and then midweek in the Louisiana Gulf Coast as a Category 2 storm. The energies of both Zeta and that winter storm have been combining forces and have bringing flooding rains to the Ohio Valley and Mid-Atlantic as we end the week. And as we drop this podcast Friday morning, those up in parts of New England are getting snow. Fellow AccuWeather meteorologist Bill Dagger will join me to recap this week and look ahead at the weekend and the week beyond. Seems like things will quiet down again, thankfully, as we head into Halloween weekend and Election Day early next week. That, of course, our look ahead at the weather is always our last segment on everything under the sun. Prior to that this week, our first and second Rays of Focus segments will highlight another proud partnership of AccuWeather. We've been talking about our partnership with the Royal Meteorological Society with the Weather of the Year Photography Contest. And now we'd like to talk about our exciting partnership with Project X from the University of Toronto AI Group. This fall competition brings some of the best young minds across the world to make computers learn to be better when it comes to this contest in terms of aspects of predicting the weather with focus on climate change. We'll detail that competition itself with the co-presidents of the competition from the University of Toronto, and then we'll dive in a little deeper with the first of three teams that we'll focus on in the coming weeks as 21 teams vie for a prize pool of $70,000 that will be awarded at the beginning of next year. So my friends, settle back, listen in. It's time to talk about everything under the sun. I got to admit, when I think of terms like artificial intelligence and machine learning, I'm certainly old enough to immediately hear that the voice of the computer in 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, nicknamed Hal. Remember he said in that monotone voice, I'm sorry, Dave, I'm afraid I can't do that. While we all increasingly benefit from the amazing advances in computer power and speed, the computers are doing a lot of stuff for us. And especially with the reduction in size required for that kind of powerful computing, they're really getting into everything that we do. 
initially computers were only as good as those who were programming them in terms of their tasks. But over the years, with this reduction in size and the increase in power and all of that, advances are being made every day on machine learning, artificial intelligence. The goal is for the machine itself to improve itself without that human intervention. These advances would be extremely helpful for us in the meteorological world, especially when it comes to modeling that we use for everyday forecasts, but even more so for more seasonal and even more long-range forecasts as we continue to tackle the issues with an ever-changing climate. The Toronto region is home to the highest concentration of AI startups in the world, and it's the Artificial Intelligence Unit at the University of Toronto as a cross-discipline program that brings together undergraduate students across all backgrounds to help expand access to AI, emphasize AI for social good, and help empower undergraduate researchers. Now, one way they've done that is develop this amazing Project X, a undergrad research competition designed to focus powerful machine learning on different aspects of life. And here in 2020, they chose to concentrate on the theme of climate change. So we have 21 universities that have joined AccuWeather and so many other big name industry partners and the university faculty around the world for this exciting two-month-long machine learning research competition. And I'm joined by the co-presidents of the contest, Elias Williams and Shardul Bansal, to talk about this exciting endeavor. Shardul and Elias, welcome. And this is really exciting stuff. Now, when a first a person, I think, first reads that or looks at that and you say uh, it's a machine learning research competition, I think some of us may need to get a little bit of a, a definition of that. When I think of machine learning, I think that I'm trying to set up the computer system or the artificial intelligence to really kind of learn how to do things better on its own, right? To take information mm. and to kind of set it up. While normally in the past, we as humans have had to create programs to make computers do things better. Now we're trying to make the computers create programs and, and tools to make things better, right? Is that is that a simplified way to explain what this competition is based on? Oh, yeah, I think you hit it hit it pretty well. But it's it's not really it's not magic, you know. It's like when people use the term AI, some people can go to like uh, crazy places in their head about it. Really, what it is is you're using a large amount of data to fit a function to approximate some target that you want to study, right? So it's really fitting a really complicated, a really long math formula to describe some phenomenon using all the data that you have access to. And that's really what machine learning is. And that's sort of the difference between machine learning and artificial intelligence. And is this kind of a situation, is this common where people do competitions to try to figure that out? Are you guys one of the first? Shardul, what, uh, tell me a little bit about the competition itself. We're, we're not one of the first to uh, do kind of a machine learning competition. These, uh, these have existed. I think one of the earliest ones was where you'd have a genetic algorithm try to play the game Pong, you know, one algorithm against the other playing Pong. So I that was, I think that was a few decades ago. And then we've seen that also expand a little bit into chess and uh, other kind of games. But I think very recently, we're starting to see machine learning used to target problems that are really kind of facing us as, as a species. And so uh, we decided that I, we, we felt the machine learning was at this level, at the stage, where we had enough data, we had enough kind of computing resources 
to be able to try to find out how best we can deal with the climate change situation that we're in. Right. So that and we shouldn't mention that, uh, Shardul and Elias, that this is really a situation that is focused on climate change. And so mm-hmm. folks are going to look at their projects to try to pick out things that are centered on the thought about climate change. We're not trying to prove or disprove climate change. We're just showing some of the things that are happening during climate change, right? And and trying to get better modeling in terms of safer. And since I know this is one of the teams is looking at the La Nina El Nino situation, how to get better data and better forecasts for that, because we've seen where you know, we go out with a, an El Nino or La Nina forecast. It looks pretty good. And then you're three or four months into where it's supposed to be. And it's not exactly doing what the modeling showed you three or four months ago. Um, one of the situations would be to take machine learning and try to learn how to take that modeling information and make it better. Precisely. There's a lot of research that's being done with machine learning in general. You know, like the most valuable companies on the planet are tech companies and machine learning is really their bread and butter in terms of how they make their money. So we wanted to basically allocate resources to doing research with machine learning in areas that don't get it. Um, And unfortunately, the climate space, well, I think that's changing a little bit. In the past has not been really a a place to make money. Right. Modeling to make money was on the current weather and the the immediate forecast, because that's where people want it. But I think you're right. I think where the money uh, lacked, I think now the interest is coming in and, and, and I think you guys are, are coming into that. So University of Toronto in conjunction with some great other higher institutions of learning, Stanford, MIT, Berkeley's Carnegie Mellon uh, in our backyard here in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Johns Hopkins, University of Illinois, McGill, University of Michigan, Caltech, and the University of Montreal, UBC, Cornell, Wisconsin, Queens, University of Massachusetts, USC, University of Alberta, uh, in Canada, the Universidad de Chile, Duquesne, also down in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Sao Paulo, uh, and uh, is that Darmstadt? Is that in uh, in Germany, Germany, right? And then uh, it looks like, I can't say it, but it looks like uh, the Polytechnic uh, Warsaw. Uh, so yep. Paul, we've got an international situation in terms of universities and teams from there, 21 teams. And then you've got amazing global partners. Why don't one of you talk about some of those? And we're proud that AccuWeather is one of your partners in terms of making this happen. Yeah, we're, we're just really fortunate that we've been able to garner support for an initiative like this. Elias and I, I think, uh, Perhaps it, it not being incredibly easy just during the times of COVID to raise funding for an initiative like this. We have three focus areas within the competition that you know the teams are tackling. The, the teams that you've you mentioned earlier. The three focus areas are like emissions and energy efficiency. We have weather and natural disaster prediction as well as infectious disease. We've we've kind of tried to make this as relevant as possible to try to gain funding from as many as resources as we possibly can. Elias, so what what yeah. to, talking about some of those partners? I mean, what sure. like when you approached uh, us here at AccuWeather, mm. what are some of the things that AccuWeather and some of these other uh, I know like IBM, cloud, mm-hmm. and Google AI, probably cloud situations. What did AccuWeather and, and uh, provide for you in this situation? Yeah, really. So when we set out to do this, uh, a hard thing in doing any um, sort of large-scale 
time commitment ask from students at these top universities is that it needs to be worth their time. And unfortunately, money is, is, a, is a big motivator for, for, for everyone. I mean, not unfortunately, but I mean, it's just the way it is. So in order for us to get commitment and time commitment from these students, we needed something that would really pull them in like and be like a good hook for them to like first, you know, look at the competition and be like, oh, this might be something I want to do. And that's why we're having um, three prizes. Um, each at, at twenty thousand Canadian dollars um, for the for the winners in each of the focus areas. So it's really like the thing that allowed us to get off the ground and recruit all of these great students from these universities to get them to commit three months of their time, which, to be honest, is a lot of time, and do a, a meaningful research project, um, which is not a really common ask of these students at this stage, at least. You were talking a little bit about what's being provided. So I mean there's this possibility to have that exchange of information, right? Because these companies also have like incredible talent who might also be willing to give a little bit of their time to mentor students, to provide expertise in terms of what kind of scope of problems do we really want to approach? Because oftentimes, I think Elias and I really talked a lot about this over the course of three months where computer science students, man, we have a tendency to think that we can kind of use machine learning or whatever to try to solve whatever problem that is. Fix anything uh, in the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> You can make exactly. you can make everything right. better, right? I hear mm-hmm. you. we can make everything better. That's that's a little bit of the mentality, but we found that through firsthand experience as well as through talking to domain experts, is that there's really there's like a few of these particular areas that really need more work, more time. And if you're able to talk to an expert, you can create you can scope your problem in a way that is actually going to have a meaningful impact on the on the work that needs to be done. So yeah, AccuWeather kind of... has been fantastic in providing uh, talks, uh, workshops over the course of the three months. I think we just had one today, actually, that AccuWeather provided. So it's again, it's a combination of not only monetary support, but also kind of programmatic support and, and informational support from these companies mm-hmm. that are doing real world stuff. So we virtually kicked this off at the beginning of September. They had their project proposals, the 21 teams from all the these uh, different great universities around the world. They had their project proposals due September 20th. Right now, they're in working on that research paper, right? And the final draft of that is due here in about three to four weeks at the, towards the end of November from all the participating teams. So do you check in with the teams as we go through uh, yourselves as the kind of the arbiters of the competition? Do you hear from them? How's that go as we go over these next couple of weeks when they're furiously working to try to put this project in final draft? together. Yeah. So we have limited resources as a team. We've recruited a pretty large network of climate researchers and machine learning researchers to sort of act as mentors for all the teams. So each team has a mentor and the mentor is there really to be acting as a project manager to make sure that the team meets their deadlines, that they're on the right track, that they have time to pivot if they need to. So that in conjunction with our three deadlines that sort of serve as uh, like checkpoints during the competition are really what's ensuring that our teams get to the place they need to go. You know, we wanted to set up a competition that so it's like the easiest to succeed as possible. That makes sense. So, Shardul, can you talk to me a little bit more about those three focus areas that you guys have been talking about in terms of there, there's three focus areas mm-hmm. that you'd like uh, these projects to fall under, right? We we thought about it in terms of emissions and energy efficiency is a focus area that like we provided data sets for teams to try to understand really what kind of footprint we've had over the course of like maybe... 200, 250 years, or how, however far back the data goes. That's helped us better understand what 
you know, what kind of practices we can do to, to reduce that footprint. Uh, weather and natural disaster prediction is a little bit about the effect of some of those decisions we've made. So we kind of want to split this up into a little bit of cause where we're understanding the cause of maybe what's uh, what's been happening due to some of our actions, as well as the effect of how is that going to you know impact the, the world that we live in. We also have infectious disease. That's an interesting to- focus area because it might be a little bit hard to see the, the exact kind of string that connects infectious disease with climate change. But we've actually seen vast, vast uh, uh, kind of decrease in uh, CO2 emissions across a lot of different countries due to COVID. And we, we knew that this data exists. We wanted to give teams an opportunity to try to analyze it. Just to kind of uh, give you an, a little anecdotal story, my relatives, they live in a, a, a small town a little bit to the east, north, northeast part of India. And for the first time in, I don't know, like decades, the air pollution cleared up so they could actually see the Himalayas from their wow, house. That's right? amazing. And so, yeah, like there, there is that kind of uh, the, the string of effects. We've also seen that Increase in floods, increase in droughts actually also relate uh, relate to uh, uh, increase and decrease in malaria as well as other insect-borne diseases. So I think there's a lot of scope for teams to talk about in terms of uh, all three focus areas and how that impacts climate change. Do you have a breakdown of uh, how many teams of the 21 are doing which of the of the three? Like, do you know that at this point? Yeah, it's seven, yeah. seven, and seven. So it's an even oh, wow. split. That'll be interesting. So, um, so who then does the judging? It's uh, you as uh, co-presidents, and then you have a, a judging panel, or 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 do you do you totally get uh, people outside of the organization to look at this and judge this? Yeah, I don't think we're at all qualified to judge this competition. <laughs> we sort of wanted people who are smarter than us to be participating. Uh, I, I, I don't so know. We also super biased going to university. <laughs> <of Colorado. laughs> Um, No, so we have a, we've been recruiting international panel of researchers. The idea is that if you're judging in like, say, infectious disease, we're trying to bring in judges who have like domain knowledge of the papers that we know that the the teams are producing. So we're we're really looking for really specific specialists in these areas so that they can evaluate like whether this actually adds to or resolves any problem or issue in in this domain area. When you guys started this and and so far, I mean you're about halfway through the process it seems to me, is it exceeding your expectations on some of the things that you've seen already from some of these teams were you like, wow, we had high expectations for this contest, but it's even exceeding that so far? Without a doubt, for sure. We were looking through the first deliverable that the teams had submitted. That was a that was a checkpoint set up to make sure the teams had really scoped their project well. They talked to domain experts. They'd understood the problems that they might come across over the course of three months. And teams have just they've submitted like a research paper for the research paper proposal aspect of it. It's just we're we were kind of we were taken aback at the kind of uh, quality of content we're seeing. I mean, that's kind of impressive because the University of Toronto AI. I mean, you guys are on the cutting edge of this. I mean, this is so. Mm-hmm. So if you're impressed, this has got to be some pretty impressive stuff that's working through this competition right now. For sure, and it wouldn't be possible without all of these pieces coming together. You know, like great partners, great mentors, great students. 
it's 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 not it is surprising that there's like like we, our expectations are exceeded but it's not surprising that there's great work coming out of yeah. that yeah and especially i think this time i mean things uh, i think people are are interested in and and have uh, some additional time to focus but mm. we're also busy behind if you'd like to learn more about this it's easy to do you can go to the website it's pretty easy to understand or remember it's project x 2020 dot com at project x 2020 all one word dot com and there you're going to see uh, the participating teams listed the partners including accuweather and all the others listed great pictures of uh, our friends here uh, that are running the contest including co-president elias williams and shardu bansal we appreciate you and all those all the great mentors too and you can get involved too if you'd like to uh, get involved there's a way to do that and and check that out so I guess with you folks, we're going to check in again as we get later on in uh, November and December and figure out who wins those uh, three amazing cash prizes in the three things. And and it's uh, going to be fun. And we're going to enjoy visiting with some of these teams here over the next couple of weeks as well. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And best of luck as we continue to help you guys with Project X here on Everything Under the Sun. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks again to Shardul and Elias, and uh, certainly uh, this is an amazing competition, and if you'd like more information on it, you can get it at their website, projectx2020.com, projectx2020.com, and if you'd like a deeper dive into artificial intelligence at UFT, they have their own website, it's uoft.ai, uoft.ai for the entire program. Uh, we look forward to following that as we go through the next couple of months we're actually going to take our second raise of focus segment and dive a little deeper into the first of three of these teams and projects that we're going to kind of identify before we get to the end of the competition and this one kind of rings a bell right now as we get ready to enter into a la nina winter that uh, enso or the oscillation that can go back and forth between El Nino and La Nina. Well, it's very important to weather forecasting, especially as we head into the winter. We've got a team that's looking at how to better the forecasts, not so much in the near term, but more for the long term aspects of that oscillation. We'll detail that when we come back after this on Everything Under the Sun. Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather, gaining knowledge on terms like what's a nor'easter. Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore. This is an exciting sixth episode of our fall series here as we dive into this amazing competition, Project X. 2020 is from University of Toronto, the AI division there. And again, if you didn't uh, hear, we've detailed that in the opening Rays of Focus segment. Here in our second Ray of Focus segment this week and in the coming few weeks, we're going to take moments to highlight three of the teams that have gotten together to participate in Project X. The first team we're going to look at is exciting to me because we're all talking in the meteorological world and in our office about this coming La Nina. The opposite of that is called El Nino, and it really has to deal with sea surface temperatures in the Atlantic and how they will affect the forecast going forward. I am joined now by team members Salva Ruling Kachai and Ernest Pukropik. They are here to tell me about how their team, which is a little unique, we're going to find out, is looking at graph deep learning for improved El Nino forecasting. 
So Salva and Ernest, welcome. Um, one of the things that kind of uh, impressed me was when I was thinking about this and, and learning about Project X at the beginning, I kind of thought that the teams would be by university, kind of like we do sports, right? So one school going against another. And then when I started delving in deeper, I realized that these teams were mixed up with other. And so not only are you working on some of these amazing, noble things, but you're making lots of friends and colleagues around the world in this effort. That's got to be uh, kind of rewarding in its own right. Yeah, that's definitely a quite exciting thing for us, for our team, which is based in uh, the USA, Poland, Germany, and Brazil. And we have a mentor from Africa. And actually, I think we are an exception in the competition in that we are uh, from different countries. I think the other participants are like from one university. And it's definitely very cool to have such an uh, international team. So Salva is joining us from Darmstadt uh, in Germany. And Ernest is joining us from Warsaw. Being on a, a special team that's over different universities in different countries, was that something that you were excited about, Ernest? Um, really, actually. So, like, we basically met as a team on the internship at Carnegie Mellon University in Pennsylvania, in, in Pittsburgh, and we haven't met in person since then, actually. So, we kind of are used to, like, this remote cooperation, and it's really exciting that, like, we are basically from all around the world, and we are, like, trying to to, to make something regarding the climate change, which I believe every one of us has experienced in a slightly different way. So that's really exciting opportunity to work in the like really multicultural team with really different research backgrounds, actually, because we are not all like computer scientists. Right. I mean, Salva are, but like the rest of the team is from different uh, programs. So that's really, really exciting. All right. So as we learned in the first segment, this is a, a competition that the University of Toronto puts together an association with the other schools and the great partners in business. And, and so we're, we're concentrating on climate change. We've got different things that we're looking at. Let's talk about your project because we're going to kind of highlight three of these 21 teams here over the next couple of weeks. But this is something, and, and, and let me take a second because the, the name of it is Graph Deep Learning for Improved El Nino Forecasting. And that's that's pretty, I think most un people now understand a little bit what El Nino is. There's going to be a term that we talk about sometimes called ENSO, and that's kind of short for the El Nino Southern Oscillation. And, and really what that is, folks, is, you know, if you just let's pick a number. So say we look at the sea surface temperatures in the Pacific in the winter and say the number is 35 average. If there are some years where those sea surface temperatures are above that 35 average, well, we've now called that an El Nino. That's that, And that was kind of the first phenomenon. We saw the things that were happening when that water was warmer. Then we started to figure out, well, if we can know when it's looking a little cooler than average, uh, there's other things that happen and different things. And so that's actually now been termed over the years a La Nina. So the opposite El Nino, La Nina. This really comes because it comes during, we noticed this during the Christmas season. And so El Nino was for thinking about baby Jesus. And that's how this whole thing really got started in terms of really one of the first oscillations. Now, there's other ones that meteorologists are tracking, but this is kind of the granddaddy of them all. I mean, as you point out in your, in your slides, guys, um, causes disasters, implications on agriculture, public health. Everybody here in the Northeast where AccuWeather is and across the United States 
Are we going to have a good winter or a bad winter? Are we going to have a lot of snow? Are we going to have a lot of rain? So getting this right is something that can be extremely helpful. And again, what I think I'm sensing is you guys are trying to take the computer situation and learn from the modeling as we go through the event and get it better as we go on and then make future events better without human interaction that the machines learning how to get those forecasts better is that an oversimplification or is that about right i guess what uh, or what we are trying with our model is to have better forecasts of the the nino index which is a common measure of enso or a Nino or La Nina. Right, how strong yeah. it is, right? Depending on the sea surface temperature anomalies in the tropical Pacific. Yeah, so we're trying to improve the forecast of that index with our graph deep learning as a, a method from artificial intelligence. Ernest, can you pick up a little bit on that too and, and things that you know that you're trying to accomplish or, or something that may kind of ring a bell to the average person in terms of what you're trying to look at here? Yeah, so basically we have a data set of the sea surface temperature anomalies across the years, basically dating, I believe, back to like 1984 or something or 87. And from this data, basically what we want to predict is like the, the future anomalies of the temperature, right? As you mentioned before, we want to like know what will be the scale of the change in the temperatures, which will be basically the Nino events that will contribute to the Nino events. And what is really, really important here, as you mentioned, that such anomalies might cause disasters basically all over the world. There will have really big implications on the on the climate on the whole globe, basically. And what's really also important is that those anomalies, those disasters, which happen because of, of the El Nino and La Nina, could be preventable in terms of the, the correct policies of the government or of the countries. And the problem currently is that we are relying on kind of like physical models, like this simplifications, the basically a smart person trying to predict what's going to happen for next year. So we don't really have a really good automated method of predicting such events. And that's basically what we're trying to accomplish with the almighty marketing-friendly artificial intelligence. I would just add that we are especially focusing on long-term forecasts, which are especially helpful. We think, and we've been reading about it. And yeah, that's something that a current models struggle with. So long-term in terms of in, in the progression of years, where the El Nino would be, or the future El Nino, not necessarily this current one or whatever the, the oscillation is now. Right now, the current models struggle with a forecast of more than six lead months. And sometimes they can reach nine lead months with a skillful forecast. We're trying to uh, improve that predictive skill for longer lead times, such okay. as one year or even more. That would be amazing if we could kind of think ahead by a year or two in that in terms of the agreed. Um, I want to try to impact this. This work is proposing is this first application of graph neural networks to seasonal forecasting. Graph neural network, can you unpack that for me as a meteorologist who's not necessarily so good on AI or artificial learning or, or, or machine learning, to unpack a, a graph neural network and how that's going to help things? So I would say that current AI models that are popular, such as convolutional neural networks, that um, have, for instance, had success in image recognition. For instance, if you want to recognize faces, you would pick up first very low-level features such as 
I don't know, your eyes or your nose or something like that, and then slowly pick up more high-level features. But they do it very locally on a local level. And what graph neural networks can do is uh, learn features from graphs, which are just networks. And we think that for such complex phenomena like ENSO or El Nino, they are not, not non-local. That means that, for instance, they may be caused by anomalies very far from the tropical Pacific. Like, assume that they are caused by some, that if some anomaly pattern happens in the Atlantic, it could be an indicator of an ENSO in six months or something. Can I help you here? Because I think yeah. this is important, and I, and I think I now understand it. So before us meteorologists who are just getting our hands wrapped around ENSOs or, or any oscillation, we always in the past have looked at them as separate events. What you're, I think, trying to build is that any oscillation or anything around, let's say, the world kind of feeds into the forecast for this particular oscillation. We're not looking at a, at a data set that's confined to the Pacific. We're trying to wrap ourselves around the world and get all of the nuts and bolts of what could make that oscillation go one way or the other and how strong it'll be, right? And then try to kind of map that out. Is Did I get that? Do I get an A for the class today? A, a plus. <laughs> so yeah, basically we can model, uh, explicitly model long range dependencies between the Pacific and other oceans. For instance, there seem to be indicators in the Indian Ocean. With a graph or a network, we can explicitly connect dependencies that are far apart in a geographical sense. Salva, uh, I appreciate that. An A-plus, that's, that's Dean's list um, here in the United <laughs> States. And my name is Dean. Ernest, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, like, see, did you hear it in my excitement? Because that's, as a geeky meteorologist, this is exciting. I mean, if, if this the improvement in that. I mean, with the different backgrounds that you all have, do you understand the, how excited meteorologists could become if this kind of thing gets better? Yeah, we kind of share your excitement, especially as we uh, try to rep replicate some of the previous approaches to ENSO prediction using machine learning. The most recent uh, use the convolutional neural networks, which, as Salva mentioned, are really popular deep learning models, for example, used to face recognition, right? And we replicated those approaches. And even at the beginning, just first few runs of our graph neural network for one, one month prior prediction or three months prior, we actually got better results. So that's really promising and that's really wow. exciting. That's awesome. Well, Ernest Pakropik and Salva Ruling Kachai, thank you for your time. Good luck. I know you're coming up on that deadline here on November 23rd where your final draft goes in. We'll be announcing winning teams in December. Uh, from all of us here at AccuWeather, proud to partner in this project. Uh, congratulations on what you've done so far. Good luck, and we look forward to the results. Thank you so much. Thank you. So Certainly best of luck to Ernest and Salva as they and their team members continue to put this uh, finishing touches on this research project, which is due for them at the end of November. Again, if you'd like more information about this amazing competition, which again, AccuWeather is proud to be 
kind of uh, lending its uh, help to and other companies as well. You can go to projectx2020.com or you can check in at the U of T, University of Toronto AI site to look at the whole program. I think this is an amazing program if I was thinking about artificial intelligence learning and it's a website that's uofti.ai, uoft.ai. Friends, when we come back, we are going to take a look at the weather. It's going to be a busy weekend as some folks celebrate Halloween as best they can during the pandemic. And then all eyes on Tuesday for Election Day. How's the weather look for this upcoming weekend or the week beyond? That's up next on Everything Under the Sun. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. This is meteorologist Dean DeVore, your host, as we get into our last segment here where we always talk about the weather going into the weekend. Joined by my good friend, meteorologist Bill Dagger, who is here as we drop this podcast early Friday morning. Folks in New England and the Northeast are going to taste of some snow, especially inland spots. Looks like uh, this hybrid system between what's left of Zeta and this uh, second bowling ball of a winter low. They brought all that wintry weather all the way down south to Texas during this week. It's kind of combining getting out of our hair. Honestly, as we look at the weekend, Bill, you know, once that moves away, I'm looking at the, the national map and there's not a whole lot going on here on Saturday into Sunday until we start to kick in a clipper system that could bring some lake effect Mm. rain and snow showers to the Midwest and the Great Lakes as we get Sunday into Monday. So a little quieter this weekend, and thank goodness after this busy week we've had. Yeah, not as many players on the field uh, this weekend and into the new week. And you know what? We, we deserve a break. Think back to about a week ago, we were starting to see this snowstorm unfold across the northern plains, the Rockies, the northwest. And then we had some fire danger in California. Then we had Zeta making landfall in Louisiana, the heavy rain and snow in the northeast. So it will be nice to look at a weather map this weekend and early next week and not see as many big features on it as we, we've been accustomed to. Yeah, I agree. We definitely need the break in that. Uh, Let's kind of break some things down. First, uh, as we those folks waking up to us on Friday morning, it looks like there's some significant snow in some of the inland parts potentially there. Um, I think some of the Berkshires, maybe uh, over three, four inches. There could be some lollipops there. It's just going to be interesting to see how quickly this moves away as we get into the day on Friday. But Good riddance, Uh, you know, a a deadly hurricane and kind of hybrid tropical storm that becomes a kind of a wintry storm. And we don't need that the rest of the weekend. There's a big football game in Ann Arbor on Saturday. Michigan, Michigan State plays at noon. And then there's a little tilt between the Nittany Lions and the Buckeyes in Happy Valley at 730. Both those games on Saturday, the weather looks good. And really, as you look at Halloween day and night, Really good uh, conditions to be going to uh, an event outside or whatever you're going to do. I know different areas have different things about trick-or-treat and stuff. So, yeah, a very quiet day, it looks like, on Halloween. Yeah, Saturday evening for trick-or-treating. If you look at the weather map, maybe there's a few showers along the southeast coast or in South Florida. But other than that, you probably have to head to the Arrowhead of Minnesota or the UP of Michigan to find any other precipitation in the form of some sprinkles or flurries. And yeah, going to be very quiet. Should be able to get out there and do the trick-or-treating if you have it scheduled on Saturday 
Friday evening. Temperatures uh, will be milder compared to the last uh, 24 or 48 hours before that in the Great Lakes and Northeast. A little cool over the Northern Plains and probably warm and dry throughout much of the South as well. Except maybe for Halloween, the, the southeast coast from Georgia down into uh, Florida, because of that big expanding high pressure that's going to build in, replace the storm, there's going to be wind coming back around that, right? So uh, mm-hmm. a flow off the ocean, windy, and some showers along that Atlantic side of uh, Florida here as we get through the day. Yeah, onshore flow there certainly will lead to some showers, uh, maybe even the potential for some rough surf and coastal flooding for anyone who's still uh, headed into the ocean this time of year. Of course, probably don't do that uh, while trick-or-treating, but uh, yeah, there will be some onshore flow there. And it's sort of the opposite uh, as we get again into the Great Lakes behind this cold front after trick-or-treating Saturday night into Sunday. Big blast uh, from the northwest, some cool Canadian air moving across the lakes. And like you mentioned earlier, that will set up some lake effects the first probably significant event of the season, like effect snow Sunday night into Monday night. You know, this time of year where it's it's hard to look at that and, and kind of imagine that that's happening. But this is a time where this is starting to happen, especially because we've got such cold air coming. And one of the keys to lake effect, Bill, is the difference in temperature between the air temperature and the lake temperature. And certainly we got those differences uh, that are setting up here as that really cold air will sweep in across the Great Lakes as we get into it. This does look like it lifts out by Tuesday. Uh, we'll get to election because I want to talk about that a little bit as uh, we go through the weekend. I'm just, everybody's wondering what Election Day weather looks like on, on Tuesday. I guess one quick thing that I want to kind of focus on here before we uh, expire our time here is the potential for, you know, we got to Zeta. We've done that before. We've never gotten to the next letter, which is Ada. We could do that. And it could happen later this weekend or early next week with uh, some stuff that could brew up in the uh, Western Caribbean. Yeah, as of uh, late week, uh, there's an area of disturbed weather uh, extending into the eastern Caribbean Sea and across the Lesser Antilles. That system will work its way west and upper level winds becoming more conducive for development, probably in the central or western Caribbean Sea by the time we get to Sunday, maybe as late as Monday. And, you know, I would probably bet on something forming and it would be ADA. That would be a new record. We've never had ADA before. Uh, so we'll be watching that system. Uh, does it go uh, to the north or on? to the West and the Central America after that next week. Uh, I think as of right now, most models take it into Central America, but you know, 2020. So we'll be watching to see if it does 2020 things. How many times this week did you try to have to educate? Because I think when people heard Zeta, they just immediately think Z. And so they were, oh, that's the last Greek letter. No, (laughs) no. Alpha, Omega. Yeah. So we're getting an education in the Greek letters. Right. Eta, Theta, Pi. Are those in the next three, right? Uh, Eight. I I know it's Eta, Theta, but I'm not quite sure what's after Theta. I will have to pull up that list. Yeah, I'm probably wrong on that, too. (laughs) I I just uh, my Greek days are well over, even though we live in a college town here in State College at the Global Headquarters. Uh, one last thing, Bill, and we thank Bill Dagger for being with us here on Everything Under the Sun. Let's take a look ahead to Election Day. Um, actually, like Saturday, I'm thinking that a lot of the country is quiet. Uh, it could be still some lake effect uh, snow showers early in the morning. It uh, looks like just off the lakes, uh, Erie and Ontario, and then up into northern New England. But brisk and chilly in the northeast, 
uh, dry and mild, middle of the country, maybe some showers on the upper part of the left coast, but uh, warm and dry as you go uh, in the southwest part of the uh, country. So in-person voting shouldn't have much weather worry here on Tuesday. Yeah, pull up the weather map on Tuesday, and I count one, two, three high-pressure systems, one centered over the Rockies, one over the south, one uh, building into the northeast after perhaps some uh, rain or snow showers, especially in the morning hours, as it looks right now. And you're right, you have to go to the Pacific Northwest to probably find the other chance of rain. Large expanses of the country uh, look dry, looks uh, fairly mild as well outside of the northeast, uh, right through the plains and the southwest. Thanks, Bill. And it certainly is a great time now to really weatherproof your life by using the AccuWeather.com app. We've got uh, that new redesign that's winning rave reviews, and you can plan ahead as uh, kids or yourself goes out to celebrate this Halloween weekend. And then, of course, uh, getting ready to vote on Tuesday and the week beyond. Certainly, we will keep you up to date not only on our app at AccuWeather.com with our AccuWeather media partners around the country as well. And we're really excited to be partnered here at AccuWeather with the U of T AI's Project X. Again, thanks to Elias and Shardul to talk about the competition as a whole. And thanks to um, our team members, Salva and Ernest, for joining us talking about their El Nino research. Friends, we're going to talk next week to a few friends of mine. As I come up here on this Halloween weekend, it also marks the first Penn State football game at home. My first public address announcing since March of last year. It'll be interesting to see how that goes in a nearly empty stadium. But I'll talk to two other friends who will have, by that time as well next week, gone through the same thing. And they talk in front of some big stadiums too. Uh, My friends Carl Grapentine, the... PA announcer at the University of Michigan, and Bob Kennedy, the PA announcer for the Ohio State University football teams. We're going to talk to them next week. We're also going to highlight another one of our teams from Project X 2020. It's been a pleasure to represent the hundreds of AccuWeather team members across the world, working hard every day to keep you ahead of the storm, informed. Now more than ever, AccuWeather.com, our app, our website, and all the great media partners that we work with. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back with Episode 7 as we start off the month of November. Next episode on Everything Under the Sun. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.